as, as we go forth, um, there's just be a, a, a little tiny bit of um, uh, repetition um, in the sense, in this sense, there's people that maybe aren't here every week or miss a Sunday night or things like that. So all I'm going to do is just for five or ten minutes just kind of give a little brief of where we've been, um, only so that we can keep going. Um, the, um, the journey's been quite interesting um, to date. It's, uh, it's interesting what this sort of does um, for a lot of people, um, especially when the end times has been traditionally taught from a certain perspective. And um, quite frankly, it's been, uh, it's been my honor to serve you. Uh, and to lead you a little bit through what he's done with me, particularly regarding this area. Um, however, when you're doing this, there are people that like to get straight to the point. Anybody know anybody like that? I'm not one of them. And I get things like this. Yeah, 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 who's the Antichrist? So I've decided, yeah, that's fine. I'm just going to show you now. All right, I'm going to give I'm going to give that up, and and we can deal with it uh, later on. So uh, for those people, there he is. <laughs> now I just want you to know, though, there are some experts in this field that are questioning the validity of that photo. All right. Okay. You remember last week we mentioned, oops, we mentioned, he shall speak words against the Most High. And this is Daniel referring to the end times. So remember, we've been in the last days since he came, and the end times is at the end of the last days. Daniel is prophetically speaking about um, the whole thing that's going to be leading up to the end times and a great deception called the great delusion is going to come into play right at the very end. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And he shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a times, times and half a times. That's 1,260 days. Three and a half Hebrew years. We work on a 365-day calendar um, given to us by Pope Gregory. It's called the Gregorian um, It's not God's calendar, but we're all operating off it right now. Um, however, if we're to understand what we're actually to view in relationship to the end times, does everyone agree that we may want to look at it through his way of looking at time and maybe not Pope Gregory's? Is that fair? Okay. So... What's interesting is that in this, what is coming against the saints is particularly, the word here is relating to the Moedims. I don't know if anybody remembers what the Moedims are. They're the dress rehearsals, God's appointed times. So the adversary that's been created to come against the body has this as its focus to rob you of your intimacy and knowing your calling. So this isn't my bright idea. And we don't understand this. A lot of what we read sometimes in the English, but we can just dig a little deeper and understand what we're looking at. He's going to think to change the dress rehearsals, the pointed times, and the law. This was the challenge from last week. And let's hold on to this as we move forward. If the adversary thinks that these areas are things that will muddy the waters and rob you from understanding your destiny, do you think it might be something that we should take seriously? Yes. And that's what we have agreed to journey together as a body. This is his word. This isn't my bright idea. And it's serious. And so these are things that we need to consider. The good news is, we know who's in control... And we know that no matter what the schemes of the adversary are, we can look at this whole realm through the eyes of love. That's the way he taught it. And we are to see even a subject as the end times through the eyes of our heart. So let's not forget that journey. So where are we at? End times prophecy lens. 
The why, so remember we talked about, we visited the Shema, the whole reason for this. Can't be that simple, but it is. To love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Truth versus tradition. Very powerful thing. We've all learned our traditions, whatever they may be. We relate them to our, uh, our walk. And we hold on to a lot of things that maybe sometimes don't line up with God's Word. To the point where actually we could maybe even turn away our ears from listening to God's truth because the power of that tradition is so, you know, so uh, grabbing, clutching. What is Israel? Ecclesiology. Um, nice fancy term, makes me sound intelligent. Biblical hermeneutics. Eschatology, the study of things. All sounds good, doesn't it? But we get caught up with all these fancy terms that actually aren't in the Bible, but there are ways of trying to describe things. And then we get people that actually know supposedly everything in these areas. And by the time we're done, the only people we're going to listen to on certain matters because we think that this is actually complicated. We can't know. These are great mysteries. Who knows? What's it all about? I promise you the book of Revelation is the revelation of who? So he gave us the book, which was the very revelation of the very reason for all of this, so that we couldn't understand it? Isn't the book of Revelation just about some freaky prophecy stuff that no one can understand? Gee, God must be silly giving it to us. This is the sort of stuff we start to entertain with the power of tradition, or perhaps how this particular subject has been misrepresented. And it really has, especially in the last three or four decades. There's lots of wonky stuff that has come out in the body. False date settings, claims, all these kinds of things. We've had so many false starts that people are getting a bit weary. And it's, it's put his word and the very knowing of him into repute. Let us not be a people that do that, right? So the love versus the fear-based uh, thinking, the perspective. So... Let's look at it through the eyes. And what we talked about was the Hebrew marriage covenant. If we look through it the way he asked us to, it has incredible, credible uh, hope. And it uplifts and gives life to us as we look at this. It doesn't bring us into a fear, morbid fascination of who the Antichrist is. We're going to look for who the Christ is. Right? What is the Bible really all about? The great mystery revealed. And Paul writing to the Ephesians, he finally got it. Pharisee of Pharisees. He'd make any of our scholars today look like absolute, you know, kindergarten children. And I mean that. Whatever we think or whoever we think or revere as being the holders of all knowledge, right now in Scripture, Paul would have literally made mincemeat of them. And this man literally came to a revelation and an understanding eventually through the travail and trials of his walk to understand something called the great mystery, which was finally being revealed at that time. And he knew there was a covenant that had been built upon, built upon, built upon, which is Hebrew prophecy, by the way. It's built on pattern. We think of prophecy right away. We think, oh, that's foretelling the future, isn't it? For that is a Greek Western mindset. It is not the Hebrew mindset, it builds an understanding upon itself. So we, we're built on solid foundations, not just our latest view of something. And that's hard for us because we've actually grown up under the Western mindset, so we have very much a Greek philosophical lens. So it's kind of hard for us to think, well, what does this Hebrew lens look like? So we look at the appointed times and his wristwatch, the Maseroth. God's version of a wristwatch, anybody remember? the heavens and then we talked about the lamb and the lion and a little bit we touched a little bit on leaven we're going to talk a bit about that today but the lamb and the lion he came the first time as a lamb and they were expecting a he's coming back the second time as the lion of the tribe of Judah and guess what the church is looking for a lamb this is a reckoning on his return so serious business ahead of us. I believe many of us in this room may live this.
Okay, I'm just going to, um, real briefly as I did last week, I've, I've got actually about four or five brothers in here today uh, that walk closely with me, so these guys keep me accountable and all that kind of thing. Um, and uh, one of them's here today, so I've just asked me to just say real quickly like Jay did last week. I know this man's journey. Um, I've been honored enough to, to walk with him over the last three years and uh, just to see what he's been through, which has been pretty serious. But, um, Russ, if you can just give us a, a little bit from your perspective on all this. Can you welcome Russ? Morning. Morning, everyone. Uh, I won't uh, go for too long because I want Curtis to have maximum speaking time. But um, I just want to encourage you all, and the reason why I'm just uh, saying a few words here, is to keep pressing into this process that you're on at the moment, this, uh, this journey. It is so rewarding when you get to the end of it. It's unbelievable. But um, even, even as uh, just touching my heart, even just saying that in front of you. But um, I, I used to think I knew a lot. I, I grew up in a Christian family, going to Sunday school. I even used to do a bit of preaching and teaching and, uh, and that sort of thing. The more I came to understand the book, and the message that was being taught on Sundays, the greater my pile of questions got. And I know, I know personally what it feels like to sit out there and have that stack of questions. And if you bring it to Greg, it's like heresy. Or if you bring it to one of the elders, it's like heresy. I actually know there's a problem here. I could stand here and I could preach all Sunday and still have my doubts about the very message I was teaching. Okay? And the, and the most simple question that you have out there is actually some of the most fundamentally important stuff. Like a child, you have a question. What is the name of my God? A fundamental question. It can sometimes drop a pastor. It just, they just can't answer it. Right? But you're sitting out there with that question. So what happened to me? I had everything sorted out, you know, my white picket fence, my Labrador, my marriage, everything was going right. I got to preach and whatever. And then and then about two weeks before it all went down, I met this guy and a couple of others. And I had my stack of questions and we prayed a prayer. And Curtis laughs about it. We laugh about it today. And it was, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. And if it, if it wasn't for that discipleship situation that I was in, I mean, when I accepted to meet with these guys, I was like, oh, another cell group. I've done the church thing. I've done hundreds of cell groups. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'll go along. I'll pay the due diligence. And, man, a week or so after I prayed that prayer, my life came crashing down, every single part of it. And you know what that does? That's the greatest blessing you'll ever get. <laughs> that is the greatest look at all look at all the stories in the Bible. Almost bar none. That is where it all starts for you. And um you know the, what that does is it suddenly points out to you the level of your deception and how much you don't know. <laughs> you know, and from that point I got to um we, we started living the journey together. The other guys as well. It was real painful. But uh, the beauty is this, all this, this, this stuff just starts getting answered for you. And, you, just, and you, start, you start seeing truth for what it is. And then you start going on this next phase of the journey. It's like, look at all this truth I'm gathering up. Man, I, I'm becoming a really knowledgeable person. And it, becomes, it starts going down this track, truth for truth's sake. In fact, you can walk up to somebody like Greg and you can hammer him with it. <laughs> and he's like the guy you all look up to and you can actually take that truth and you could smash him with it. And that's not right either. So then you start looking at the truth and I was down here at one stage with all this grace and then I've got all this truth up here and I can smash everyone with it. And then you suddenly come to this position that it's a much more interesting, narrow little path you're supposed to be walking on with this stuff. It's, it's, it's a very important... It's truth and love. 
and and it's um it's this it's this issue the issue the marriage covenant. I'm supposed to be doing this because it's a heart matter. I'm supposed to be looking at the heart matter of all of these things. And I, I just encourage you, don't, you know, you'll pick up some really awesome truth here. You'll, um, next time the Jehovah's Witness comes to your door, you'll like invite them in for a cup of tea. <laughs> okay, so you could do the truth thing or you can, you can keep going on with some of the other stuff you're doing, but just understand that this is a hugely rewarding process. And hopefully you don't have to go through crushing places. And you can just uh, maybe earn a little bit of oil off us idiots who have been through it for you. Thanks, Bob. Although I have to say that you wouldn't get Greg so much these days. He's, um, does everybody here appreciate you have a, a pastoral eldership, a, a team here at The Rock that actually is honestly trying to seek truth? Yeah. You know, isn't that awesome? It really is. Not so scared to go, you know what? Actually knowing him's more than protecting what it is I think I know. And, and if it is truth, guess what will prevail? Whatever you currently have or whatever you, he wants to reveal, guess what will always stay in the picture if we agree to move forward together? That love is going to, what love will cover the multitude of sins? And what will remain is truth. Because if you have truth, walking together in discipleship, iron sharpening iron, contending in love, it is never the truth that will get thrown out. Never. And I can tell you, truth is not the thing that scatters when light comes into the picture. Darkness scatters. And as I encouraged you last week, let's just be a people. It's not running away from the light. It's just, let's, let's go, okay, it doesn't sit with me. I don't understand it, or I'm struggling, or I don't know what the heck they're talking about, or whatever it is, just keep going. It's okay. And if you're the holder of all truth right now, we definitely need you to stick around. So, uh, where's my thing? Okay. So we looked at what is the Bible really all about? In Proverbs, uh, the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings to search a matter out. So do you mean that as a part of how God delivers even matters of prophecy, that he actually can conceal something waiting for it to be discovered? Not interesting. And in fact, the very pattern um, of Yeshua, and he walked literally in the flesh on earth, was reputation, questions, sometimes rhetorical, prayer, walking together with others. This is his pattern. And so we live this out. Why? Because we're fallen. Has anybody ever heard something one week and you can't even remember possibly what it was the next day? It's our state. So are you supposed to get all this stuff that we're going to look at all the time? Not initially. Sometimes you might, your spirit might, whatever, but just keep going. It's okay. But this is his promise. So we searched these matters out. Paul did. And he said, this is the great mystery that I speak. I'm sorry. Uh, keep doing it. I'm so used to the other thing. I got rid of the bolding and now I keep pressing it again. uh, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Messiah and the called out ones. And this is interesting. And he was outlaying something that was about using the foreshadowing of the marriage covenant to make this point in the book of Ephesians. The great mystery. And he's talking about a marriage covenant in the flesh and that this is actually pointing to something in the spirit. So this particular thing, this great mystery, Paul was jumping for joy because this Pharisee of Pharisees finally got it. Unbelievable. I'm in a marriage covenant. This is no longer a mystery. It's revealed. Whether we understand that or not is another matter. But the mystery is there for us to know. It's all about a 6,000-year betrothal, broken 
because of spiritually a spiritually adulterous bride. That ends in a marriage to a repentant wife. That was restored and sealed on a wooden cross 2,000 years ago. With the blood of a groom, the groom. The covenant with his beloved people, which could only be restored and made through new through his death. To give us a chance to all make a sovereign choice. To love, obey, and know him or not. To allow eternity to be truly legitimate. Without this choice, God doesn't have his dream, his version, his fantasy. This is his show, not ours. And we've been invited to it. And he says he knows the beginning from the end. We are the ones living this right now. We are finding out how much we love him. He's done He knows. Guess who's discovering it in something you call life? We are. So we have this lifetime as he reveals to us. Curtis, this is how much you loved me. And when I breathe my last breath, that's it. Sobering. Yet, according to the book of Revelation, which supposedly none of us can understand, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the... is come and his... That's pretty deep and we could spend an hour on that one. This is what is qualifying his beautiful bride. And we saw in um, Hosea where he says that I will betroth her and I will love her as a wife. But this, so Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-three. but this the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my in their inward parts and write it in there and will be their God and they shall be my people. Man, that's at the beginning of the book, the Old Testament. I thought that wasn't needed anymore. Well, let's see if the old is revealed in the new. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put what? Amen. And in their minds, I will write them. Now we're going to get everybody single file to come up here and everybody is going to say the Ten Commandments. Be pretty daunting, wouldn't it? What if I grabbed a mic right now and just came out there? You see, are these things really just a glib thing that's going on or was something actually being fulfilled? What do you say? Not one yard or tittle will pass from the law until all things are... Interesting. How do you make something better? How do you make a covenant even better? Maybe taking it from stone and putting it on your... I will turn their stony hearts into... <laughs> this is interesting. The appointed times. First coming, spring feasts. Um, did, who was here for our Passover weekend and whatnot? Did you enjoy that? Isn't it kind of neat coming together as a body and just saying, well, let's just look at it a little bit the way he asked us to and actually not be scared of that. And, and it's kind of a neat journey together as a family. Um, the second coming, the fall feast, is as a lion. Now, there is a set of appointed times, the Passover, that focus on this one and this one. We are going to just have a quick look at this one today. Oop. Hmm. Okay. 
Um, speak unto the children of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed times of the Lord, which shall, you shall proclaim as holy convocations. These are my appointed times. Okay, so we've also gone over that. They're not Israel's. They're not, he, they're not even Hebrew. They're not Jewish. They're whose? Okay, they're his for a very special reason. God's wristwatch regarding his plan of salvation. Every ounce of the heavens above you and what he's created isn't just for the beauty of it. It says that the Bible tells us that the heavens declare his glory. Now, how is that going to be declared? How does that kind of work? We think of it in its terms of, you know, uh, beauty, aesthetics. Yes, I think everything God does is beautiful. But that doesn't mean there's not meaning and deeper meaning to it. But we've had a whole church scared off from understanding this, maybe not from a scientific perspective because we're yearning to try and find out some more, but certainly from understanding God's perspective, this has been masqueraded by something called astrology, hasn't it? And it scares us off. We've got the straw man in the room. Oh, let's not look at this because it's, you know, it's astrology. Yes, Babylonian practice, demonic practice is astrology. Why? Because astrology, you want to tell the difference between the two? Astrology focuses on who? Me. What's my horoscope say? What's it mean for me? But actually understanding astrology and the pursuit of it, it leads to self. But astronomy, God's creation, guess what it points to? Him. Very different perspective. So if there was somebody who was going to come along and try and rob us from understanding the appointed times and the heavens were helping us to understand those very appointed times, the two were locking in, do you think it would be sort of something to get you away from understanding how we're to even look at what's above our heads every night? Interesting. Barn door right in front of us. Every ounce of it speaks of his son. The plan of salvation was written in the heavens. Okay? It's above your head. This is the ancient Hebrew understanding of something called the Maseroth. I suggest that it's a very interesting study to know and to understand. We can't go into every element and aspect of it, but I can tell you it's beautiful. And I can tell you Job himself understood it in detail. How do we know that? What's recorded in Job? He is being... God has an interesting way of comforting. Job, Job was actually righteous, right standing in God's eyes, very high acclaim by God. Who would like that acclaim? To be given that by God, right? And, and, and what does Job get for it? He actually says to the adversary, have you considered my servant Job? <laughs> now you think about this. Who was asking for permission to have a go at Job? Permission. So everybody into this big boxing match for the throne and good versus evil, you've bought into New Age Eastern philosophies which are not of him. There is no boxing match for the throne. Your God is on it. It's his show. Believe me, nothing's going on that he doesn't allow, understand, and is brought into being. Okay? Amen? So let's not just give lip service to this. You're okay. All right? Understand. He's not sitting there going, gee, you know, I hope they don't get them or I hope they don't get her. Oh, I don't know what happened there. I've got to come up with another plan. He really does have this. And if you understand to the degree of what we're about to just touch on in the next two or three weeks, it is going to give you a confidence and a hope and send your spirit alive, even if we are about to head into something that is preceding the announcing and the coming of our groom. And you can be a light at this time to a world, or you can be running around in fear. Which one do you want to choose? Let's choose life. The Magi were waiting for something. The Magi were, um, we call, often think of the three wise men in tradition. And they saw, you know, they, they came into town and the three wise men gave the gifts to little baby. You should, you know, and we get this all, it's a nice little sanitized version. I can tell you, and maybe one night if we're honored enough, Russ has an incredible um, um, scenario, take you through the night 
that the Magi rode into town and just how unbelievably exciting this is. What's going, what's actually going down. If God was going to write a movie script, I tell you it would be an action suspense drama. He really was. So this is what we're actually reading. It's quite incredible. But these Magi were waiting for over 500 years through the Chaldean line, Chaldean line, through Daniel, right back to Nebuchadnezzar. And what they were trained to do and to understand was the Maseroth. Remember, we talked about Job. God was using, when Job was sitting there going, you know, he's complaining about things, remember? And he starts to go to Job, Job, who are you? Interesting way to be comforted. Do you think Job had a, like, maybe a little bit of a case before, <laughs> before the Lord at that stage? He did. And as he's stating that case, he's getting reprimanded. Who are you? Did you, did you, did you? And do you know one of the things he said? Can you bring forth the Maseroth, Job? So he's using something that he didn't understand or didn't know. Do you know that Job, this is the one book that we, we believe and understand to be pre-Diluvian, pre-flood? So this was before any written scripture. How could he be using and understanding this conversation with Job because he didn't even have something called we call the Bible. He's using it to reprimand him in his greatest time of need. So his detailed understanding. You imagine somebody's in a time of need and they really need some help here. And you use something they completely and utterly couldn't relate to. Not going to make sense, is it? So he's actually using this. Can you bring it forth? He has a very detailed understanding of this. Just because we don't doesn't mean they didn't. Now this is happening... This all gets passed on, and Daniel kept this thing alive, and it comes through, and there's something called the Magi. They would be based in what we know as modern-day Iraq. But they're looking at something from the east, and as they're looking at it, something is happening in the heavens. Something that they had been trained and were waiting for for 500 years. They're looking at this, and as it starts to come into being, guess what they knew? was happening and there a great wonder in the heaven and the woman clothed with sun and the moon at her feet and upon her head was a crown of twelve stars and she being with child cried out travailing in birth and pain to be delivered the woman by the way for the sake of this is Israel this is Revelation 12 1 to 2 do you know that as that was going down, I want to show you because we have modern technology now and through, uh, I think, Copernicus and a lot of the mathematical equations, we can go right back to 2,000 years ago to the time of his birth. Do you know that the heavens, something happened in the heavens, we actually know what occurred to the day, the hour, the minute. We are just living in this time. My people perish for lack of intimate knowledge. Do you know the Holy Spirit is pouring out knowledge and an understanding we have never known before? We now can do something. Does anybody want to go back and look at something 2,000 years ago? Can we dim the lights a little bit? Is anybody interested in this? All right. Can we somehow turn those lights off on me as well? Thank you very much. Okay, so what we're going to look at is that something was coming into being at this time. Now, the, the dates can be one way or the other. So it can be, I'm going to show you two things. It can be uh, three, uh, before, 3 BC um, or uh, uh, 2, I think 2 AD. It depends on whether you want to count the switchover from AD to BC. So whether you count that year or not, okay? What is what is interesting is that when we go back and take a look at this, what is undeniable is what occurred. Now, remember what we read in Revelation. Now, there's something that's going to unfold in the night sky here. Let's see if I can actually get this to work. There we go. Okay. You may not know it, 
But in exactly this date is exactly on something called the Feast of Trumpets or Yom Torah. This is the true birthday of your Messiah. It happened exactly on an appointed time. And the Magi looking at that time knew it. It occurred in the fall feasts. We know this for a number of reasons, but we were unable to have the very heavens that declare. Would anybody here say that our Savior might be the glory that our Father would want to declare? Okay, so he's declaring something at his birth, and he's doing it exactly on the appointed time. We're going to be speaking about these next week. The reason why I'm showing you this is the degree and the power of what's actually going on. God is precision. This is as precise as you can get. We're going back 2,000 years ago, and what they are seeing is exactly what they were to look for and was written in the book of Revelation years after the actual event. But they knew at this time what it was that they were going to look for. So what are we seeing, by the way? Here you go. This is in the known in the Maseroth. It's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You'll think of it today as what? Leo. There's, there's things that have come through this whole Zodiac version. We just don't understand what they mean. But in this, there's something called Jupiter. And by the way, the, the, the signs here that you're seeing here, here's what we would understand as the virgin. Yeah. This has gone right around the world. And you can go into any of these cultures and they are holding this general understanding still from this day. Wherever you go, and these things have been preserved for us now to be able to go back and to look. And what's sitting here, right here, is Jupiter. And in the Maseroth, does anybody know what Jupiter is? It's a king planet. Now, you'd be sitting there going, okay, that's interesting. We're starting to narrow down some things. We can go back. We know what they were seeing. They're sitting there going, it's time, boys. Let's get ready to ride. So they're going, okay, we've been waiting a long time for this, this exact alignment. There's a lot in this, by the way, as to how special and rare what you're seeing is. Every year there will be a moon at her feet scenario occurring. But the exact alignment and the way this is occurring with the planets, if you understand the Maseroth, is something that is outstanding. And it occurred right on that time, and away they go. During his death... This was actually happening right in the hours. By the way, we're in Jerusalem time. This is occurring. A blood red moon's occurring, or what is known as a blood red moon. And it's coming across. And the interesting thing about this is, and you're not sure how clear you can see it, but it's Libra. Does anybody know what Libra is from the signs? Yeah, the scales. Guess what was being weighed in the balance? The price was being paid. And it was being marked in the heavens exactly where they would have been looking for it. This isn't just a guesswork. This is to the day, to the hour, to the minute, okay? As he's literally dying upon a cross, that moon is turning red for them to see. Guess what the Father's view of this would be? Does anybody know what it would be? We're going to reverse this. What would he be seeing? He'd be seeing a moon come across what? The sun. The world, the weight of the world is extinguishing what? The light on the sun. As he's watching his son perish, there's this beautiful symmetry and poetry playing out in the heavens to the day. No human being can orchestrate this. We can't just make this up. But if I don't know what the appointed times are and what's happening and be able to relate it exactly to how he was looking at it and bring it all together, we could live a whole walk in our faith and not even know that he's actually anchoring the substance of your faith in such fact, in such beauty, and in such an ability that it will drive your faith to look deeper. And I hope what you're seeing is just giving you a glimpse of this. Because, by the way, we're just scraping the iceberg. Okay? But it should let you know you are in the faith. The truth. His appointed times, prophecy fulfilled. Somebody said to me last week, 
Curtis, what, uh, you know, what's this Passover thing got to do with prophecy? Well, I'll tell you. They were reading for 1,500 years since they were taught this Moed, this holy convocation, what we know of as Passover, a dress rehearsal every year that was pointing to a coming what? Messiah. So that at the time that it would happen, they would do what? Recognize. So if I started to get polluted by something... And I stopped understanding this dress rehearsal that I was supposed to live every year and to understand, is it possible that there were some at that time, even the true believers and the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob could get so polluted that they would not even recognize their Messiah? Did that happen? What if I told you that these four, what you're about to see, were fulfilled? And we're just going to look at this. And what if I told you that there are four left in the Moedims that are not yet fulfilled? What would you say? That will be also marked by signs in the heavens. Passover, Pesach. Sacrifice for our sins, sin on the cross, a debt paid. The feast of unleavened bread running with it over that week. This is removing of spiritual adultery from the temple. Feast of first fruits, acceptable offering to him. Who was the acceptable offering to the Father? Absolutely. And then we had 50 days of what's called the counting of the Omar that finishes in Shavuot, or what we think of as the day of Pentecost. By the way, as we're going through this, do you know what we are currently in right now? The counting of the Omar, which is a place of repentance and to look for these things. At the end of the Omar, the Holy Spirit was delivered on Shavuot. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before the shears. So he did not open his mouth. This is Old Testament prophecy. There are many of them. And then it confirmed in 1 Corinthians. Paul here says, clean out what? The old? Mm, that you may be a new lump. Just in fact... Uh, just as you are, in fact, unleavened, for Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. So they were getting it. Okay, so what actually happened? Preparation, the cross, resurrection. So on this exact time we've get, that's been marked by the heavens, he comes in, triumphal entry, resurrection. This is all laid out in Leviticus and the gospel accounts as to what you're going to see laid out here. So you need to go away and do some homework. But we're going to look at this real quickly. He comes in riding on a donkey. Do you know this occurred on the 10th day of the new year? Does anybody know when the Hebrew new year actually starts? Hmm? Month of Aviv. We think of it in our Gregorian sense, would be the first of hmm? April. What do we call the first of April in our... Whoa. That is shocking, isn't it? So this is the way we're now being taught to look at his calendar? Really? And we entertain this stuff. It may be, it may seem like a joke and fun to us in our ignorance, but that doesn't mean he's laughing. So he comes in. On the tenth day, there's a, there's a, a selection of something that goes on in the feast of Passover. Guess what they're selecting? A lamb. Interesting. He rides in on the tenth day on a donkey. The very stones, what does he say on the way in? The Pharisees are screaming, the Sadducees, stop, stop, stop them. What are they doing? This is blasphemy. Right? Because they know what they're, they're sitting there going, oh my goodness. They're saying this is the one. And what was his answer to him? If I stop them, these what? I don't know if you know how offensive this was that he was actually saying. We think of stones actually with little mouths on them crying out, don't we? Who knows what we come up with in our heads? Do you know what the penalty was for blasphemy at that time? You were stoned to death. He's looking straight at them and saying, if I stop them, guess what? Guess what's coming down upon you right now? Whoa. 
little bit different reading when we understand a little bit of a Hebrew lens, isn't it? Then they inspected the lamb. Is this suitable? It had to be without spot and blemish. Who was the only one who overcame sin, missing the mark? The sinless lamb. And then what does he do? He starts to prepare the house. And what did he go in? This is going to start giving you some meaning. Cracked a whip above his head and kicked over tables. Get out. This is my father's house. And you've turned it into a den for thieves. This was their version of cheap grace. They were selling animals, making money off it. So the poor people that were sitting there, bound up, could go and get their sins atoned for. I'll give you a few doves, maybe put two, two for one special. Was there a money-making enterprise going on at this time in the temple? You better believe it. Was there a version of cheap grace even in the legalism of the law? You better believe it. It exists both sides. There is as much legalism on our so-called grace end as there is cheap grace on the legal end. It will get us one way or another. What was Russ pointing to? What's Greg crying out to you week after week, month after month, ad nauseum? Let's find it. The Last Supper. The legalists go crazy on this one. There wasn't a full Moedim, or what would be more commonly known today as a setter, Passover meal. He's actually breaking bread and drinking the wine. Where's the rest of this show? I had somebody say to me one time, well, where was the lamb? <laughs> this is how caught up we can get in this side of things. Here's the one that's going to hurt right now. Is there a cheap grace version of this? Is it possible that this beautiful anniversary that we've been asked to remember could be watered down? by making it a weekly or monthly event. We call it communion. Anybody here married? Celebrate your anniversary every week for the next year. Is it going to become more reverent and more meaningful or less? We were asked to honor this in reverence. Because what was done for us was there. Now, am I challenging people's individual hearts and our traditions? No. It's not my job to do so. I can only be honest with my own testimony. But what I can tell you is this. The more I'm able to take something for granted, the more I will. I am fallen. This is ultimately a heart matter, be it weekly, monthly, or annually. But there is a reason why he asked us to do this. You take it before him. This would have started around 6 p.m. Does anybody know when the Hebrew day starts? Remember we talked about that? When the sun goes. So we start in darkness and the day ends in. Beautiful. What did Pope Gregory do? The day starts in. Starts in light and ends in. Whoa. Somebody said to me one time, if you ever want to spot the devil in anything you're dealing with, just flip it upside down and you'll get the truth. He's not creative and there is nothing new under... Nothing. I promise you, if you really want to look at what's going around you, just flip it upside down and have a look at it for a second. See which one lines of scripture. Gethsemane. After the meal... Or after this non-traditional, it's occurring on the day of Passover, so he's not doing this full dress rehearsal. Why? Who would, be, who would have the right to actually change now what was sanctioned by the Father as a dress rehearsal that they must do to honor him? Who would be the only one that could have the right now to actually do something else? Hmm. And when he's saying, do this in honor of me, and do you know what those disciples went through after that? None of them got to celebrate the dress rehearsal this year. Does any of us believe that Yeshua himself would cause those disciples to sin against their father during this process? 
So we've either got to believe that he caused them to miss this official holy convocation or he was actually the one that was going to what? Fulfill it. He was going to become the Passover and he asked us, look at it this way. And I promise you there is a whole movement over here that would just be on me like you wouldn't believe. And now I get to have everybody upset with me. It's a real nice position sometimes to stand up here and have, you know, the Messianic movement and the Pentecostal, Charismatic, Evangelical movement both looking at me going, I'm going to kill you. Because tradition is being challenged on both sides. What do we say? Tradition is what? Powerful. And if I can shoot the messenger, then it's good. It's okay. I shot him. Truth now changes because Curtis is dead. Gethsemane, what happens here? And this is, this is where we're going to wrap it up here, but we're going to use Peter and, and uh, Judas as the examples. Does anybody remember or understand that um, when I was talking about Judas and Peter were both zealots? And they honestly and earnestly were looking for and wishing for the Messiah to return, okay? Judas too, by the way, so he's not some evil character that we try and, try and demonize him. But I want to tell you something. They both had a view of what the coming of the Messiah looked like in their mind. And if you want to know, because people keep saying, well, how is Peter so stupid? And look what Judas did. Man, he must have been a piece of work. Yet they were in his closest discipleship core, walking with him intimately. And yet one was going to portray him to the ultimate level. The other one was going to what? Deny him. Well, this is happening. So you mean the closest to you are going to be the ones that are going to hurt you the most. If I'm betrayed by somebody I don't know, I just get angry. I get betrayed by somebody I know and love. And that will crush me. This is what we are actually now dealing with going into Gethsemane. Watch what's about to transpire. Does anybody remember the scene with Peter in front of uh, Caesarea Philippi? Philippi? He's standing in front of a plantherinth of Greek gods. And literally, Yeshua is standing there. And if you know the scene, he's got a whole set of the pantheon of the Greek gods, right? And he's saying to them, who do you say I am, Peter? And he says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. Good. On that understanding, I'm going to build, right? And just a few minutes later, then what's Peter doing? He's saying, now the Son of Man's going to go, right? And be put to death. All of a sudden, Peter, well, that's not how it works. You're, you're here to kick Rome out. So what's he start doing? He starts coming against who? We try and turn this into, ooh, Peter, you know, got possessed by a demon or something. Why? Because Yeshua uses the words, behind me, Satan. Do you know what the office of Hasatan is? It's a heavenly office. It's called the office of adversary. And is it possible that Peter, because of his image of how things were going down, could actually be an adversary against truth in that moment? Better believe it. We don't understand what the office of Hasatan is again because we don't have this Hebrew lens. What are we reading what was he dealing with? Is it possible I can be an adversary to truth? Or you? Yes, we all can be in this. Peter had his version and it wasn't happening. And it went right through. How about Judas? These two, same leaven, very different endings. How about Judas? Judas is going. And do you think he didn't know what was going on? In fact, who told Judas it's now time to go? He knew exactly what was inside Judas. He knew exactly what was affecting him. This is my image of Messiah, and this is how it will play out. And nothing I'm about to do right now, if you are the Messiah, will change the course of what is written. You mean to tell me that Judas could have been doing this, thinking he was actually doing the right thing, because what if this isn't Messiah? We don't have to make up all these little stories around this if we just understand the context of what we're reading. 
Judas honestly thought he was doing the right thing. And he had become an adversary against truth. Because if this wasn't Messiah, what's he just done? I've got rid of the false. Wow. A little bit different perspective than the guy with red glowing eyes. We're demonizing. Remember, they walked closely with him. And he knew what they're infected with. One ends with what? Going into self. He realized what he had done, didn't repent, ended in a pretty tragic situation. On the other hand, Peter's living still coming out, even Gethsemane, right? Chopping off ears, all those sorts of things. And he's like, Peter, stop it. It just keeps coming and coming. And then he's what? The crow's doing its thing. And he's like, no, I don't know him. I don't know. It just keeps coming. It keeps coming. But eventually the story with Peter ended in what? Repentance. A beautiful actual typology because he's coming to the shores of Galilee. I've stood on those shores of Galilee. I've actually seen it from the perspective of a boat on Galilee at the shore. I actually have seen the scene Peter has seen. Literally. And about the proximate distance as well. And I'm looking at this and there's a shoreline and he's cooking, I think, fish. And Peter sees him and his repentant heart is so much he strips his robe off. And jumps into the water in this beautiful picture of, you know, baptism and cleansing. And he swims. It's over. The leaven's gone. But what was the price for these guys to go through it? If we have this feast that is, that is sharing with us an understanding of leaven... Do you think we might want to know why the feast or the appointed time of unleavened bread exists? That there may be a time for us to look at what's in our own house. The sentencing and the beating of the innocent. This has been around the third hour, what you'd think of as 9 a.m. The cross occurred on the sixth hour in the Hebrew day. It should be midday to you. And on the ninth hour he died, which is exactly what we saw 2,000 years ago. In, uh, in the little film clip, he perished on the cross. He was put into the tomb at dusk. Does anybody know what goes on at dusk at this time? So as he's being, so the feast of Passover, there's, a, there's some interesting things going on here. If we understand, if we did this as a dress rehearsal every year, He's literally being placed where he's going to be. He's, he's now died. The lamb is being slaughtered right at this same time. Literally in the temple. They're next. It's over. As he's literally going, the Passover lambs are being marched into the temple at that time. And he's literally fulfilling it. He's put into the tomb. He's there for three days. Anybody ever wondered with the whole Easter thing while we're doing the Good Friday? Are you going to count to Sunday? Day and a half. <laughs> Wasn't it three days and three? Interesting. This year, and we'll talk about this a bit more, our Passover was marked with the blood red moon. There's four of them happening exactly on the appointed times over the next Hebrew calendar year. It's sobering if you understand this. Something interesting is happening. But if you'd known that, you would have known this year Passover was on Tuesday. What we think of in the Gregorian calendar. It adds up then. Because the resurrection, or the raising of first fruits, occurs on what we call Resurrection Sunday. Interesting. And it does happen, by the way. In the, in the Hebrew um, term, it would be actually uh, a high Sabbath at this point. It is always celebrated on the Sunday. Our priests became the first fruits. And I'm going to show you something real freaky here. And the coming out of the tombs, after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Does anybody know what this is referring to? So he is resurrected as the first fruits. Guess what came with him? Some people think we've got a zombie movie going on. They are seeing some dead people walking around with them. Or they thought we're dead. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's going on? 
Some of you right now are going, really? Yeah. And they recognize them. This is interesting. We know of three people we can absolutely verify that are right now with the Father. So this whole thing when you die and go to heaven thing, we can talk about that later. It's not what Scripture says. But, but we do know of three that have gone in. Does anybody know what happened to Enoch? He was translated and caught up. Does anybody know what happened to Elijah? Translated and caught up. And Moses' body was actually retrieved, if you get into understanding the book of Jude. But then this event occurred, and we do find out in Revelation that there is, right now, a throne of elders around him. How many are in that throne? Where'd they come from and who are they? If you don't understand the appointed times and what first fruits is, when the high priest would literally take the first sheaves of the barley, literally cut them off and wave the sheaf in the air and say, here are the first fruits of the coming harvest, which were barley. Do you know how he knew which were the barley? Which were the good ones and the counterfeits? Because there's a form of barley that grows with them. And this also happens in the fall feast when it comes to the wheat harvest. Everything's talked about the harvest. The, what? the harvest is great. The workers are. This whole typology. But we don't live in an agricultural reality which is working in harmony with the creation. It's working in harmony with the heavens and it's being confirmed by His Word. And brought to life by His Spirit. And as this was happening, He's waving it. Guess how they know the ones that are not of the first fruits and not worthy? They stand straight up. Because the barley that is ready is so full of the goodness that it starts to weigh over into a bowing position. Creation itself and the model is built into a beautiful picture of repentance. And they slice them off and he waves it as this is happening. And as that's happening, the graves are bursting forth. And first fruits is literally being fulfilled on Resurrection Sunday. And if you read Revelation, you know exactly what you're looking at. Those 24 elders are the first fruits sitting around the throne. And this is recorded in Scripture, but if we don't know what we're looking at, you won't know what the heck this whole zombie scene was about. Yet, if you look from a Hebrew perspective, of course. So those first fruits were there. Um, we'll finish up here. This is what we're going to look at next week, and there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves. Yeshua himself was being asked, what shall we look for? And the signs of your coming. And guess what he pointed to? Gee, the heavens. But we can't look at those. Next week, we're going to look at the ones yet to be fulfilled. Is anyone interested in that now? Because it's exciting. And guess what? There are some things we can understand. If we look through the lens he's looked through, we're not going to have all these shenanigans and silly games we've been seeing in the prophecy industry over the last three or four decades. We're also going to have a chat about these. They also come with solar eclipses. We're just going to have a look and try and get a balanced understanding of this. This is fact. It's happening. This one just did. They are occurring absolutely in line with his calendar this year. Is this a warning concerning the coming fulfillment of end times Bible prophecy? I do not know. What I do know is what I'm told to look for. Okay? He knows. But I'm not going to start making up silly games. We've got people on YouTube right now going, Oh, Passover 2014, because they're just getting a glimpse of understanding this. And now they're just trying to do it for the first time, by the way. Oh, the rapture's going to happen here. It's going to happen here. And they're trying to fit in their doctrine and, you know, do all these silly games that are going on. But that is now a recent phenomenon. Do you want to know all the claims of the coming Messiah? Hundreds of them in the last century. Do you know how many... We're linked to the appointed times, all these false starts. Do you mean if we had looked at it his way through a Hebrew prophecy lens, through an understanding of that scripture, the foundation he gave us to understand the truth wrong, even though we're not born into this, is it possible that if we just did it his way, his truth, sorry, his way, his life, that we could actually be shown something that a groom's speaking to us? I promise you that if we'd done it his way, we wouldn't have been turning people away and putting the very word of God itself into refute.
Isn't that amazing? No false starts. Well, just look at the fruit and it'll help get us there. Next week, we're looking at the line of God. Thank you so much for uh, listening to me today. I'm so sorry that you've got to continue to do this right now. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it's an honor to go with you on this journey. Thank you. I just want to say this, too, that um, we're all learning at the same time. So I don't know about anyone else, but my head sort of spinning a little bit and going, man, there's just so much in there. And I hope we're all encouraged that I'd say probably all our heads are going, my goodness, I have no concept there are some of these things. And so that's why we want you to come out tonight and ask questions and seek understanding, seek living knowledge and contend together. Um, I've got some questions from what I heard this morning that's like, man, I need to get a greater understanding of that. What does that look like? Help me. Knowing that, once again, Curtis isn't the oracle of all truth. He may not have answers to some of those questions that we need to seek him on and seek together. But it just shows you when God says, you know, for is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings to go searching because of what he wants to show. He's looking at our hearts. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Greg? 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 How much do you love me, Greg? Are you prepared to come after me, Greg? Yes, Lord. So thanks, mate. Just another challenging time, and it's um, questions at therock.co.nz or that my bond number. We really appreciate it if you could send the questions before tonight. Uh, just helps um, be able to you know, present things. I've said things in order, and also um, questions that align to what we've been hearing. Last week there were some questions that sort of were just there, there, and there. Um, we can answer those questions in another environment. We really want to stay on topic and not drift off topic. Um, and so, if you can send um, your questions to there. I'd love to see you tonight. Uh, we'll call it a day there. So um, maybe 